There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Marmoneal Property. You're with John Pigeon. Buy an investment first or buy your owner occupier first. I had a clarity call with a couple, lovely couple from Sydney, and I'm going to share the details with you and how they've navigated the property world in the last 10 or so years. There's no right or wrong in all this, folks. It's just what works well for you, taking into account financial wealth, taking into account lifestyle and everything else that comes in between. All right, let's get into it. If you're a first-time listener, thank you very much for tuning in. If you're a long-time listener, absolutely appreciate the loyalty and support that you've shown us. Now, owner-occupier versus investment. It's on the lips of many Australians right now, especially those who are living in Sydney or Melbourne. It's just extremely hard to get our deposit ready in times where the running costs of our life have increased dramatically. Uh, rentals have increased, petrol's increased, Woolworths, shopping's increased, you name it, everything's gone up and it is harder to save a dollar. So that elusive deposit might not be as much as what we thought it would be 18 months ago when all of that was a little bit cheaper. Combine that with our servicing and what we may have been able to borrow two years ago is potentially half of that today, right? So it may not, well, it raises the question, if we can't buy what we want in the suburb where we want to live, what are our alternatives? And we've spoken about this a little bit before, Emily and myself, and we've done some Q&A on it and, and, it's, uh, and, and it's just such a hot topic at the moment. So I thought I would expand on it in more detail with, uh, with a, a clarity call that I did just recently. And as we approach the festive season um, at time of recording, start of November, there is a good six to eight weeks before things start to die down. Now, just on that, if you're thinking about getting into the market, don't put the queue in the rack and, and think that you're going to resume or, or commence your search early January and things will be okay. My thoughts are start now. If you're ready now and you've got your pre-approval in, in place and your mind says, yeah, I'm ready, but I'm sort of concerned about the market or there won't be enough listings or uh, I'm going to wait until interest rates stabilise or the world's a better place in January or February, everyone else is thinking the same thing. So my thoughts on that are absolutely, you can get a great outcome before Christmas. That's what we're doing with our clients any case. So the great Aussie dream is buy our own home, pay it off over the next 30 years and live happily ever after. That's At least that's the 1970s or 80s version anyway. Fast forward to today, having a mortgage and being able to pay it off is a lot harder than it ever used to be. So we need to be thinking, what are our alternatives? Now, I've run a scenario for you in a suburb, a beautiful suburb in Adelaide for all the South Australians listening in. Hello to you all. Called Norwood. 
close to the city. I'd call it blue chip suburb in Norwood. And I want to run some real life numbers as we see it today. Uh, and this is CoreLogic RP data, which is really probably the most accurate form of information you can get for residential property in the country right now. So let's look at uh, the current median house price and the current median unit price in Nor Norwood as a suburb. Today, a house median price in Norwood is 1.3 million and a unit median house price is 715,000. So that is blue chip for Adelaide, trust me. In Sydney, that would be 4 million and 2 million respectively. Now, I've been banging on about this long enough over the years to say that land goes up in value at a much greater rate historically than the building dwelling or the dwelling value, which is going down in value. Okay? In saying that, there still is performance in the unit sector or apartment space. It just depends on what you're buying. Right? We know that minimum two bedrooms ideal. We know that a small complex is ideal over buying something in a complex of 200. We know that we're off a busy road. We're going to get a better result. We know if there's low body corporate, all these things stack up to get a better performance than the median, right? But if we look at our own situation for a minute, and then we'll come back to some data and say, well, right, Norwood's my suburb. It's a suburb where I grew up in, in, uh, in my family and my friends are around there and I went to school there and I want to buy my own home or my forever home potentially in the suburb of Norwood, but I've only got a borrowing capacity of let's say 800,000 and I've got a deposit that allows me to get into a property to the value of 800K. That gets us on median averages a unit in Norwood quite comfortably. Um, what I need to think about is, do I want to be an owner-occupier right now in a unit, knowing that I potentially will want a family one day and I may grow out of this? Or am I okay being a rent vester, renting in Norwood uh, and investing somewhere else around the country, buying in at four, five, six hundred K and having a yield that's maybe uh, co covers majority of the running costs, which is quite achievable um, for, for that sort of price point at the minute, at least in the four to five hundred K range. So I need to be factoring in a few things in my life. Uh, we need to ascertain my, my short-term goals. So one to three to five years, what I want to be doing financially and also from a lifestyle perspective. I need to ascertain my borrowing capacity. I need to understand my risk profile. Am I okay with renting or do I want to live in my own home? Am I okay to go and invest somewhere around the country that's not in Norwood or in Adelaide itself? Uh, I need to understand my mindset. Uh, am, I, am I coming from the school of, well, mum and dad told me that I need to buy my own home to live in, so that's what I'm going to stick with. That, that needs to be my number one goal. I need to look at lifestyle versus financial because sometimes the obvious financial answer isn't always the best answer for us when we take into account lifestyle and what we actually want and what we prioritise in our life. So I get a pen and paper and I'd sit down and I'd write what my top lifestyle goals are from one to five or one to three and prioritize them actually in order and then look at how many of those are actually financial related and how many of those are actually costing us money. Like I want to travel around the world or I want to um, buy a, a certain car or I want to um, go out for dinner 
three times a week or I want to continue to close shop or whatever it is that's, uh, that floats your boat. You also might think about, am I likely to have kids in the next five to 10 years? Am I single or have I got a partner? Do I need to have a dual conversation? So many things in our life we need to think about. So not only one to three to five years, but we need to be thinking 10 to 12 years in advance, what's it going to look like for me? Now, of course, the goalposts are going to, going to change. You can do a 30-year statement of advice, um, similar to one that a financial planner does, and guarantee that in probably 12 to 18 months, it will have changed somewhat. So we need to readjust the goals or the outcomes every 12 months, but we know that we might have a indicative 10 to 15 year outcome to say, well, this is where I'm likely to be living. This is where I potentially uh, will be financially. This is my maybe my income. There's a, there's a chance that I might have one or two kids. This is potentially where they're going to school based on my morals and my values. Do I want to send them to public or private school, etc., uh, etc. Et so I'm getting you to think much further down the track than just the first 12 months or two years or indeed further than this number one purchase that we're about to embark on because this has a roll-on effect to everything else that's going to happen in the next 10 years. Hence why I'm going to give you an example of the clarity call that I had this week with uh, a couple from Sydney. So let's get back to the Norwood stats. Whether I want owner, occupier or investor, I've assessed the goals, the borrowing capacity, the mindset, the risk profile, the lifestyle versus financial, um, the, the cost of owner, occupier. So I realise in Norwood that I can't afford my dream home, three bedrooms, 600 square metres with uh, a, a dog to run around or the kids to play long term, that I need a stepping stone property in order to get into that particular market in the, in the form of a unit. Performance-wise, I need to also compare that, what it's done in the last 20 years. So let's give you the numbers. If I was to buy a house in Norwood in 2004, and for you number geeks out there, you'll love these sort of stats. For those that aren't number-driven, let's just play along with me for a minute. 20 years ago, median house price in Norwood, 406000 a median unit price in Norwood, 275000 Fast forward to today, as I mentioned, 1.3 and 715 respectively. That gives a total median gain of houses, 894000 or $47,000 per year growth, right? Pretty cool, right? That's 50 grand a year while I sleep, essentially. I just need to cover the mortgage. The unit price, the median, has grown by 440000 or 23000 a year. So it's essentially... Uh, almost half, right? So that's a big difference between growth, but still 23000 a year for just holding a mortgage and living in that home. I'll take that. Okay. That's okay. But if I'm financially driven, I might want more than that. I w- might want to climb the ladder just that little bit quicker. If my mindset or my risk profile says I'll rent in Norwood and I'll go and buy somewhere else to get better than that 23 grand a year that the unit median has given me. Now, of course, you might be sitting there saying, well, that's just the median, John, and I can perform better than the median by buying better and buying at discount and adding some value and buying in a smaller complex and and not having huge body corporate or outgoings and not buying off the plan brand new or something like that, right? And I absolutely agree with you. I'm just giving you a median for the, uh, the example today. 
If I was to choose to rent in Norwood, a two-bed unit would cost me on average about 550 per week, which is 28 grand a year or 28 and a half grand a year, okay? So depending on what occupation, I might be able to claim some running uh, from home expenses, et cetera, as well, and I get to choose where I want to live, right? Um, again, a mindset thing. If I was to hold a $575,000 loan for a 715K unit, run with me with the numbers, uh, ladies and gents, because I put down a 20% deposit, I've got that 575K loan. At 6% is $663 per week in interest, right? Now that's the interest only. Add on the principal component and the rates and water, et cetera, then we're going to be paying more than what it would cost us to rent. Therefore, we're going to have more disposable income to be able to save more, to be able to invest more, or to be able to have better lifestyle choices through that journey. But the downside is I don't live in the home that I want to live in in Norwood. It's just simply a stepping stone for the next three to five years and beyond, okay? So I just thought I'd give you a like-for-like example, houses versus units in a particular suburb. And because we bang on about so much Sydney and Melbourne stuff, I thought I'd head to beautiful Adelaide and give you that example of Norwood, right? So if we're thinking owner rock or we're thinking investment first, right, there's no right or wrong in this. And this is essentially what I'm coming to the conclusion of for you today. It's, it's about what your priorities are at the time, but also thinking long-term and then understanding everything in your life and the pros and cons of each decision you make, but how this decision can snowball to further decisions down the track, right? So I'm going to take a break and after the break, I'm going to come back and I'm going to go into detail about what I discussed with my Clarity Call attendees, Zoe and Tom. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
given you some thoughts or some some insights into something that you might not have thought about before or it's reinforced some things or it's just uh, maybe you disagree with something and that's totally cool. I'm just providing some, some chatter here today. But let's talk about Zoe and Tom. So uh, that's their stage name. That's not actually Zoe and Tom, but I'm using that example. <laughs> but I am using those names today. They live in Manly. Now, let's go back a step and let's see where their journey started. So their dream location was Manly. Love it, friends, family, uh, everything they know and feel and spend their time with is in Manly, right? They just love the, the location and why wouldn't you, right? So you can think about what your long-term location is and absolutely draw a comparison to that, right? And why we're putting such emphasis on where do we want to live is because it takes up so much time in our life, right? It, it, it's a massive chunk of our hours in the day when we think, okay, if we work from home, we're essentially 22, 24 hours at home, right? If we don't work from home, we're still there probably 16 hours of the day. So we want to live in an area that we want to live, not where we can afford. And that's the, that's the other point we need to come, um, that needs to come into play when we're thinking about this. So let's cast our minds back to 2011. Zoe and Tom went and bought their first home and it's actually a unit and they paid $560,000 for. Uh, again, that's what they could afford. That's what got them into that particular suburb that they loved and everything was nice and rosy. Now, their view at the time was that they'd probably live there until they outgrew it or they started a family and their view was to then go and rent, okay? Now, I'm not going with the right and wrongs here because there is no right and wrongs. It's just, okay, what would we have done differently and what could we do um, differently going forward? But essentially, fast forward to 2020, they said, right, uh, we're out of here. We were going to buy what we thought was an affordable house. We never thought we could afford a house in that same suburb. So in 2020, they bought a house for $1.54 million. Now, the good thing about this is they had the deposit and the servicing, good incomes in Sydney, they had the deposit and the servicing to buy that home and still keep the apartment that they were living in, right? So they rented that uh, house for a little bit until they decided to, to move into the house. Now, first part of this is they used equity from their apartment or, or their unit, right? So the 560K purchase and nine years later is now worth or was worth 1.2 million. So some fantastic growth in that time. So it's gone up. It was in a complex of 12. It's an older style building, low body corporates, and they could, um, it, it had a real niche to it uh, in that particular suburb. So they had plenty of equity there to use to buy their owner occupier, which was and still is their dream home for the long term. Now, what would I do differently in that situation? Okay, so there's two options there. They can use the equity like they did to go and spend 1.54 on this uh, house of their dreams in the dream location or 
they could sell the unit and take the cash, which would have been 560 minus, let's say they've paid off a couple hundred thousand or let, let's say they've, they've paid off a, a little bit of that. Let's say it's even down to only 500K, right? Um, they've got the good part of 700K to go and take and uh, have a $1.5 million purchase with a 800K mortgage, give or take, with stamps and all that associated, right? So they're the two options really. So what they did was they kept the uh, unit and used the equity and went and bought that property, which essentially means equity is a loan, right? So if we're taking 10 or 20% from that existing property and getting a loan for, for the rest from, a, from the lender, we're loaning over 100% of the property purchase price and when we take into account our running costs, right? So that is what I consider bad debt, right? It's not tax deductible because it's not income producing, right? So we've got a $1.54 million mortgage that we're paying interest on. Now, that was all okay, 2020, 21, 22, until we started to see interest rates rise, which was obviously the reason for them reaching out. It's like, okay, we were in at 2%, now it's 6% and we're paying principal and interest on both of these properties. John, please help me, right? So we had to nut out what was affordable and what was not working for them, right? Because there was a little bit of angst there. They're they're still saving a little bit of money and their incomes are solid, don't get me wrong, um, but there is some large interest costs going out each each month. Now, the loan on their unit was only 290,000 or so, so that's quite comfortable. But if you think about that, that's now getting rented out. That's now positive cash flow, which means what? They're actually now starting to pay tax on the income from the unit that they used to live in, which compounds the fact that uh, they're paying a truckload of interest on their mortgage that they're living in, 1.54 mil, or it's actually 1.59 because of the stamps at 5.7% interest rate. And they're also having to pay tax on their investment property on top of that because it's positive cash flow because they paid it down over that journey, over that nine-year journey of owning it, and the rents are so high in that unit. Now, great problem to have, right? Great problem to have that they're, it's a positive cash flow property, but not when your debt is so large, okay? So it's a, such a common position that people... Um, have themselves in where we buy our first property, we naturally pay it down because that's what we're told to do. We pay principal and interest. We maybe make extra repayments. We mightn't even have an offset account. We pay it down, pay it down, pay it down. And then we wake up and say, look, I can actually afford a house now, or I can upgrade to a different suburb now, or I've saved extra cash now. I'm in a position where I can do that. Now I'll go and buy our upgrader. Right, which is a very common scenario for owner-occupiers around the country. Lo and behold, we get the property rented out. Hang on a minute. This is a debt against the income associated. It's extremely positive cash flow and I'm paying tax. Okay? So how could we swing that around to get the best of both worlds? Now, don't get me wrong. Zoe and Tom are in a fantastic position. The first unit that they bought it's gone up anywhere between six to 700K over a 12-year journey. So that's been fantastic. It's performed for them. They've done well. They've lived in the area they want, et cetera, et cetera. They love it. Great. 
the property that they bought in 2020, just before COVID hit, or 2019, has also gone up around about 800K, would you believe? Right, that's just what Sydney does, right? Crazy. So combine those two together, they've made about 1.5 mil, which is absolutely astounding. And, and they're over the moon with that. So they're in a fantastic position going, going forward to have choices, okay? But let's strip that back to the beginning and say, okay, if we clearly think about what the next five to 10 years might bring for us, we can make an even better informed result that doesn't put us in a pickle if interest rates rise, vacancy rates increase, our income increases, tax rates change, et cetera, et cetera. So what could we do different in that example? For Zoe and Tom and anyone else who might have that first property or looking to get that first property that, but will also then look at uh, upgrading that in a few years, we pay cash for our first property. We haven't got any choice there. We have to pay cash because there's no equity because we haven't got previous property. We put our 10% down or 20% down, whatever that might be. We pay principal and interest because we're living in it. That's cool. We have an offset account where we make extra payments into that offset account. Don't try to pay down the mortgage any quicker than you are unless, unless you're going to stay in it for the next 20 or 30 years. If you know that you're going to move out of it within five years or 10 years like Zoe and Tom have done, then we pay the minimum and then we keep the other cash aside to then form the deposit for the upgrader home. Why do we do that? Well, we do that because then that second property that we're going to move into in five, 10 years time, will have a 20% deposit. So only a 80% loan as opposed to 102, 103% loan. We've saved the deposit, we've saved the stamp, and we've got more manageable holding costs And then conversely, that investment property that was our first owner-occupier is now more of a cash flow neutral position instead of a a high cash flow positive position where we're actually paying tax on that. So we've now got the best of both worlds, even though we bought the same two properties. We've got a property that's income producing and tax deductible, that's cool. But then our second home that we've bought as an upgrader is a more of a manageable mortgage, even with interest rates rising, and we can pay that down as much as we want, as quick as we want, because we know that that's going to be our long-term home that we want to live in and bring the kids up, etc. Now, Zoe and Tom having one kid, they have one, one child already, they're not having any more. So we factored that in to say, right, the next 10 years, go for your life and pay that mortgage down as quick as you can. However, they've got a mortgage of 1.59 at 5.7% principal and interest, which is hurting them, hurting them a lot, okay? And they don't want to be tied to that mortgage. And I'm sure anyone listening in that has a mortgage of over seven, 800K is maybe feeling the pinch right now when interest rates are around 5 to 6%. And I hear you, but understand that that is the norm. That's the norm going forward. Don't expect interest rates to drop back to 1% or 2% like they were a couple of years ago. It, it just It's not going to happen at least in the next 10 years in my humble opinion. So what we decided to do for Zoe and Tom was say, right, I know we don't like to sell property. We sell when we want to, not when we have to, but we're going to cut our 
I wouldn't say losses because we're cutting our gains. We're cutting our gains and we're going to sell that unit and take the proceeds, which a lot of it is CGT free, capital gains tax free, because they've lived in that property for so long and pay down our large debt of 1.59. Rough numbers are that we're going to leave them with a mortgage of roughly about 600,000. So 600 versus 1.59 is an absolute game changer, depending on the sale price, of course, uh, because now the, the unit's worth, it was 1.2 in tw- 2020, so it's roughly going to be worth 1.3 to 4, depending on the heat of the market at the time and, and maybe sprucing it up a little bit to make it a little bit more appealing. But long story short, they're going to have a mortgage of about six to 700 versus a mortgage of 1.6. Game changer in terms of lifestyle. But they're only uh, late 30s, early 40s. So they're not wanting to retire. They're not wanting to reduce their hours. They want to continue to build wealth. So what they're going to be doing now is once they've refied and got refinanced and got that smaller mortgage, they're going to extract some equity and build an investment portfolio the right way. And what I call the right way is reduce your bad debt every year increase your good debt, but make sure the yield and the cash flow is appropriate for your lifestyle and your portfolio. So when 6% interest rates hit or there's vacancies hit or uh, anything in your life can hit, you've got some backup plans. Now those backup plans might be you're in a heavy cash cash position because you've got an offset account um, or, or cash in that offset account. You've got uh, neutrally geared investment properties that are tax deductible and that, that give you some return each year. And, and no, negative gearing isn't a, a, a wealth creation strategy. It's a byproduct of creating wealth through capital growth and cash flow, by the way. Okay, so understand um, that position as well. All right. But long story short, they now have a 10-year vision for what they want to re- achieve. They're looking at how much they might spend on their owner-occupier because they know they're going to stay there for the next 10, 15, 20 years. They know how much they're going to put aside for holidays. They know that in 10 years' time, there may be some transition to to part-time work depending on uh, how they're feeling or they can pivot and take a lower-paying job. They're now in a position where they've got choices. Now, how did those choices come about? Well, They've got to take action in the first place. Their risk profile is fantastic. They worked hard to save money. They did their research in terms of what to buy and they went and did that. So well done, Zoe and Tom. It was an outstanding conversation. I loved every minute of it, so much so that I wanted to share it with the rest of the country here today. But in summary, I wanted to talk to you about A, a real-life case study that's happening now So you might be sitting there thinking, well, I want to grow a portfolio. I also want my home to live in. I also can't afford my home to live in. So what are my options? Um, Understanding that you may be in that position that Zoe and Tom are in where you may have paid down that first property, which is not a bad thing, by the way. It's good to pay down debt. But now what's that next stepping stone, right? So yeah, look, I'm not here to sell clarity calls, but if you think you've hit a roadblock or there's no obstacles, then the link will be in the show notes for that. I wanted to get that point across to understand that there's no right or wrong answers. It's just what is right for you 
not your next door neighbour, not your best friend, what's right for you in your current financial position and also thinking about that longer term lifestyle, what you want from life and also from a wealth creation point of view, what also floats your boat as to how much you want when it's all said and done. So there it is. Thank you, Zoe and Tom, for putting your hand up and allowing me to share the information today. Hopefully that's given you a bit of an insight because it's such a common topic. Do I buy my owner rock first? Do I buy an investment property first? Do I be a rent vester? Um, how much do I want to live in my own home? Which area do I want to live in? Uh, and, and everything else in between that. And, and that conversation is never going to change. And the, the exciting thing that I get to deal with is every conversation I have is a totally different one and a totally different outcome, which is... Um, which is unbelievable. I get to hear some unreal stories and I get to learn about um, different locations around the country while I'm doing it. And by the way, speaking of locations around the country, Emily tells me that I don't tell people enough about our buyer's agent service. So Envisage Property, uh, again, link in the show notes, envisageproperty.com.au. We're a buyer's agent service uh, for majorly investors, but we do do some owner ox um, around the country, WA, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia. Uh, if you need a strategy, if you want your handheld to go and find the property yourself but us shouldering it, there's an option there. If you want us to do it all for you, that's fine as well. If you want a property plan longer term, we do that for you as well. Um, so there's a few different options there. Check it out. Um, send us an inquiry and we will get in contact. Thank you for allowing me into your ears today. I'm John Pigeon, and you've been listening to My Millennial Property. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Career, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 